Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I pity the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five! We are wrapping up March with a very jam-packed Fizz Five. Ian Unsworth and John Eads with you as the Orange have made several moves over the past couple days. Big-time coaching staff addition, which means more recruits could be rolling into the 315. You've got some key pieces from last year's squad coming back. And men's and women's lacrosse season is rolling right along. And hey... Kayla Trainer is doing a pretty darn good job with her crew. Gary Gates got some young ones coming along, and that program should be in a good spot in a couple of years, John. Let's start with basketball. For topic number one, Brendan Strawn, the newest assistant coach at SU. Number one. So SU hires outside its coaching tree for the first time in a very, very long time, John. Brendan Strawn is from George Washington. He played at Hood College, I believe, which is in Fredericksburg, right near Baltimore and D.C. He actually recruited Red Autry's son at one point in time, not to come to Syracuse, but to go to George Washington. But the thing is, he has no SU connection before this. How do you feel about that? Well, it's interesting because there are so many coaches out there and and people in positions that played at the program that... Could have gotten this assistant job, but I think it's a good hire. He's not really a guy with a terrific resume. I mean, George Washington is George Washington. It's not a college basketball power in any sense of the imagination or anything of that nature. But the reason why I think this is a good hire is because in that resume, deep down, is his experience with the AAU ranks with team takeover. And there's always so many talented players that play for that team, for one. And then two, just in the AAU circuit as a whole. So he seems like a guy that's very well connected. And for a coaching staff that is seeming to try to get younger with Coach Autry taking the role and then Coach McNamara, the associate head coach as well, they're trying to stay young and in the recruiting circles. And I think this is a good hire to do that. He's already got connections, too, with guys on Syracuse's team like Benny Williams, who just said he's coming back for his junior season next year. So it's nice to have people with those connections. I also read he's connected with Judah Mintz a little bit and Chris Bell as well. So a lot of guys already on the roster for Syracuse's team. And going forward, it's a guy that, again, is really well connected in the AAU ranks where a lot of these blue chip recruits are coming out of. So I think it's a good hire. Yeah, they could have gone with a Syracuse guy, but they have enough of those guys on the staff already. And I feel like if you're going to go with this guy who's got the AAU pedigree versus a former Syracuse player who maybe isn't as connected, I think you lean on those connections and that recruiting prowess. Yeah, Justin Taylor and Malik Brown also played for Team Takeover a couple years back. So definitely an area that Syracuse has to tap into, the DMV. Because players from the DMV, historically, have done really well here the best player in the program's history, Carmelo Anthony, is from Baltimore. That is an easy selling point. That is a really easy selling point. Judah Mintz, right out of Oak Hill. Easy selling point. Mm -hmm. And there are so many good high school programs around the D.C. area. We're talking about Paul VI. We're talking about DeMatha, Oak Hill, um, this there's no there's other players from Gonzaga Prep and St. John like there are so many good basketball schools within that area. First of all, as you said, Team Takeover gets those guys and collects them all in one team to play the best. 
And Strawn was there, I believe, from 2013 to 2018. So, you know, some of the guys he probably ran into when they were 15, 16, maybe even 14, 12, when he was coaching there. But those connections go a long way. And you said get younger, which is really interesting. I, I like that. I also think Strawn brings a different perspective to this coaching staff, which is something you need when you're trying to change styles. Yeah. If you're not going to play the zone primarily anymore, if you're not going to run the iso ball offense 90% of the time, you need a different voice, and he brings that. I'm not sure what he's like as an actual on-the-sidelines coach because we haven't really seen him in action. I haven't caught any George Washington games recently. I, 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 don't make that, I, don't, um, I don't make that a priority. But specifically from the recruiting perspective, this is a nice hire because you've already got Coach Griffin and Coach McNamara and Coach Autry who can really take care of the actual on-the-court sidelines type stuff. But, yeah, I mean, he brings that extra perspective. I don't think they play zone down there. And he comes from the lower ranks of college basketball too, so maybe he's well-plugged in with the D2 guys, the JUCO guys, because you could find talent there. Teams this year that had success pulled those community college guys out, and they emerged as stars for their respective teams. So certainly nice to get that fresh perspective and a guy that is plugged in at different areas, as mentioned before. He also was an assistant coach at St. Joe's, too. So yeah, the Philly. Philly area is a nice spot. You think about guys like Scoop Jardine and, well, Jean Boulajac came from there. I know he didn't necessarily yeah. materialize, but, um, you know, those kind of schools where former Syracuse greats come from and, uh, perhaps the next crop of talent can come from too. So he's plugged into some good geographic areas, great recruiter. I think that's all you need to know about Coach Strong. And with Syracuse, recruiting the East Coast is always going to be key. The New York City connections will be there always, but you need to get guys from elsewhere besides New York City because Patino's back at St. John's. He's yeah. going to get a lot of those guys, right? And now Ed Cooley's at Georgetown. And he is going to have a major presence when it comes to recruiting his backyard. So you need someone that can go punch for punch. Can Coach Autry do it? Yes. But he's also got to do a lot of other things now that he's the head man. He's got to go to the fundraisers and kiss the babies and shake the hands and, you know, do all the other stuff that a head coach has to do that has always just been Jim Beheim's job. So now that it's in the hands of someone else, you need someone who's already plugged in, as you've said, John, to go to go to schools, go to tournaments, go do all that sort of stuff, and get in the recruiting circuit. And so Strawn is that guy for Syracuse. So with that being said, the Orange are right on the chase for a top 50 prospect in the class of 2024. And that is topic number two. Number two. The name, Donnie Freeman. He is the 33rd best prospect in the class of 2024. He is from the D.C. area. He goes to St. John's Prep. He's 6'8", 190, a really dynamic scorer. And Red Autry was his lead recruiter. So, as we just said, there aren't as many recruiting duties Autry can pull out. But I think this might be one he finishes because this is a guy who could be a top prospect down the line and also the cornerstone of a new face of Syracuse basketball. And they've been after him for a long time. You mentioned the recruitment for Coach Autry. They've been recruiting this kid since he was in eighth grade, and I think that's kind of how it typically goes. But, you know, it's better to start earlier rather than late. And what's interesting is that I see a quote that is from Freeman himself, and he says that he feels like his game fits at Syracuse more now because, in his words, they're no longer running the 2-3 zone. 
Yeah. It's going to be strictly man-to-man principles, which is interesting because I know before when Coach Archer was asked about this at his press conference, it was, yeah, we'll see. We might run both. We might do a little bit of both. But this is from a recruit who's getting the pitch from Coach Autry and the staff that, hey, we're not running the zone anymore. And I feel like that's going to put Syracuse in a better position to get these kinds of players, the 6'8", 190 power forwards who can really score the basketball and aren't necessarily a one-facet type player. In the past, these kinds of talents have been interested in Syracuse, but they've ended up going elsewhere. And I wonder if maybe the zone was a reason why, one of the reasons why, maybe it was the biggest reasons why, reason why, rather. Um, So that's good. I think that they're certainly in for this recruitment, and getting him in on a visit is obviously a massive deal, and it's tough to get those sometimes with prospects. And again, I just feel like with the changing nature of the staff and the changing philosophy within the program, they're better suited to get these kinds of players because – I mean, Syracuse basketball has always had the pedigree. It's always had, uh, you know, the roll off the tongue a little bit. It's always been a nice memory in your head, emphasis on the memory. But there's been reasons for players to have pause and to choose the Dukes of the world and the UCLA's of the world and the Notre Dame's of the world. Now I feel like there's less answers to choose other schools or less reasons to choose other schools than there are just to choose Syracuse. So I think this is a guy they're certainly in a good spot for. Yeah, they're competing with Alabama, Texas, I think Iowa, Fran McCaffrey's been recruiting him at Iowa, but Syracuse is definitely in in the running. And also, when you think about it, what's closer, going to you're going to Texas or you're going to Syracuse? Texas did get Kevin Durant, and I think that's always a big selling point for D.C. guys because KD is from, from that area. But at the same time, I don't. Texas is also going through a coaching change. Uh, th- th- there's a whole lot of extenuating circumstances elsewhere, and Syracuse with what has been pitched to Donnie Freeman. I think, again, he is someone that they Syracuse looks at as the start of the change of the program, right? Yep. New regime, new faces, different styles of players, and Donnie Freeman is, is the starting point for that. Now, I, w- I want to ask you this, John, because it's something that's been kind of on my mind for the past couple days. With Autry coming in, and changing things around, there is the chance that recruits come in, right? Syracuse can now be a destination. The, I think, if we're being completely honest, like, Red Autry has turned this thing around. Remember in 2020, when Syracuse made the NCAA tournament, and everything's everything's great until they lose to Houston, mm-hmm. and then you, you learn, oh yeah, Buddy Beheim's coming back. JG3, after his great shooting day against West Virginia, is coming back. And then it's just all like, oh, but everyone else is leaving, right? That was the big news after losing the NCAA, losing in the Sweet 16, nonetheless. Oh, everyone's leaving. Kadari's gone. Bobby Braz is gone. John Bolzak enters and then rescinds and then, you know. Woody he, Newton. Yeah, yeah. Woody Newton goes too. Syracuse had has had back-to-back seasons of just extreme mediocrity. But now that Autry's in place... This feels like a destination. J.J. Starling's coming back. There are so many other guys in the portal that at one time were former Syracuse targets that SU's making good pushes with. And you also have Adam Weitzman doing his thing on the NIL front. Syracuse is becoming competitive there. Syracuse feels like a destination again. Yeah, I mean, I can't argue with that because I think the coaching staff is making some mature decisions and not not being willing to innovate. I feel like that was something that Coach Beheim didn't do, is that he wasn't willing to adapt to this new era of college basketball or go against some of his principles that didn't work. Because 
you know, college sports are evolving and changing every year, and especially in the past, like, five years, it's felt like two decades worth of evolvement in just a five-year span with the transfer portal and NIL and kind of just how the game is changing as a whole. But Coach Autry has come in and within less than a month already made some big decisions and taken this program in different directions that have resulted in really immediate success, telling Joe Girard that, hey, you know, you're going to have to battle for playing time, so maybe you want to go somewhere else. He's in the portal or going to the draft. According to his girlfriend, we'll see what goes there. If Joe Joe's going to Europe, yeah, or he's going to a different college, he has gotten a lot of interest to his credit. Uh-huh. But that's to be like more of a role player type guy. But anyways, um, yeah, I think this is a destination spot, and it's a spot where guys like Freeman, who are like elite level forwards, um, can come and think that they can have success. Think about guys like Chance Westry and Kyle Filipowski and Brandon Huntley Hatfield in the past, guys that we've covered extensively on the Kamari website. Kamari Lands, who's Kamari now Lands. in the portal. Westry and Kamari Lands are both in the mm-hmm. portal. Both at one time, it's, I mean, Lands was committed. Yep. Westry had Syracuse, what, top three, He's I think? Yep. Yeah, so like those are guys that Archery could snap, snap to the finger. You got him. And there's another top 40 talent. That's because he's shown the ability to evolve and change with the game. He's throwing that defense out the door. He's getting in the portal. He's going to visit recruits at their games every day. Very active on the recruiting trail. So in my eyes, Syracuse kind of has a different narrative in the recruiting circles. Players are more prone to show more interest in coming here, especially those forwards. And you think about last year, that's really the spot that they struggled most was at the three and at the four. They couldn't find any consistency there. And really, Williams and Bell are coming back. That's all fine and dandy, but it's pro- it might be some of the same stuff next year. So I think Freeman is a must-get guy for Syracuse. They need to get an elite-level forward that can be an immediate impact player because you can't have another season where you've got a role player at the three and a guy that is inconsistent as that coffee machine that's 50 years old in your kitchen every game. Well, you kind of led me to it. So our third topic here on Fizz 5 with John Eads, I'm Ian Unsworth. Remember, you can check out all of our stuff at Orange Fizz on Twitter and theorangefizz.com. Our third topic is Benny Williams and Chris Bell returning because they're both coming back. Number three. Which could mean one of two things. It means... There's either a big jump for both of them, and Chris Bell now becomes a 42% three-point shooter, in my eyes, starts moving the ball off the dribble, becomes a consistent man-to-man defender, and Benny Williams scores 15 a game, really gets after it on the boards like we saw him do in the ACC tournament at the end of the year, and finally puts together the flashes that we've seen over the past two years, or as you said, we get the same thing, and it's still maddening. But for both guys, the potential is there. And I'm happy that both of them stuck around because it seemed like there's they seemed like really resilient kids, mm-hmm. mentally tough kids, and you have to appreciate that. I was encouraged by what I saw in that loss to Wake Forest in the ACC tournament. I thought both of them played well, and they had a different sense of urgency and just energy I guess you could say for lack of a better term in that game you had Bell swatting shots ferocious on the boards actually getting rebounds and then hitting shots as well that certainly helps that's what he does and then Williams was great too I mean he was fighting for rebounds he was putting his body on the line he almost got into a fist fight within the first like two minutes of the game when he ripped that ball away from Wake Forest player and we hadn't really seen that really all year maybe you saw it in flashes one time here in March one time here in January but you didn't see it on a game-to-game basis, or really even multiple times in a week. So I think that's the biggest thing for me when it comes to Benny. 
is consistency. I'll tell you what, if he's going for 15 points per game next year, I think this team is top three, top four in the ACC. I mean, he's that big of an X factor in my eyes for this team. If he did that this year, who knows what they could have done. Um, and Chris Bell, I just think he needs to continue to add more facets to his game. Right now, he's a three-point shooter, and that's pretty much all we know. We haven't seen him develop defensively, but that's because he was playing in the zone. So what does he look like in the man-to-man defense? What can he do as a distributor? Can he do anything off the dribble, or is he strictly just a catch-and-shoot three-ball kind of guy? I'm not really sure if there's that many minutes and opportunities for him to be a big player for this team if that's all he does is catch-and-shoot threes and then maybe play a little bit of defense. Maybe he'll get like 15 minutes a game next year or something like that. But you need to be more well-versed, and I want to see what made him a high four-star prospect. I mean, they're not just going to give a guy a four-star rating because he could shoot the three-ball well, right? I mean, so I want to see more from Chris Bell. Definitely nice to have them both back because it's guys that know the system. They know Syracuse well, and you're not bringing in just a freshman and relying on him to be the guy next year for Syracuse, but they both need to show massive improvement both in their game overall and then from a consistency standpoint. For sophomores especially, sometimes a year makes a world of difference in college basketball extra year of of eating right working out doing all that sort of stuff over the summer into the fall to to get you mentally and physically prepared and again there will be new systems learned hopefully more offense instituted I think Chris Bell even with his limited skill set last year could have been a better player if there was more offense that tried to get him involved because he did a lot of standing and I don't really think it was his fault sometimes where the the offense was more designed to, okay, Judah's got it up top. Let's see what he can do. Chris, you're going to stand on the left side of the court. And if you catch it, you, sh- you should probably shoot it. Right. Like if you run him off a couple screens or you, you try to, you know, get him involved feeding the post and then maybe there's an opportunity to kick it back out and shoot it. There are ways to get that kind of player involved. And with, with Bell especially, and also, I mean, Bell's the type of kid where if he misses one or two, he's just going to keep shooting because that's who he is. Benny's the type of dude where if he misses one or two, you know, he might as well just sit for the rest of the game. Yeah. And I think that's what you saw in Wake Forest. He made his first two shots and then just played on an, an, on an emotional high for the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. There are ways to get both of those guys involved. And like with Benny, and I think the Empire Classic, he had like 10 points in the first half against Richmond because he was just shooting elbow jumpers. Mm-hmm. Like, that's his thing make it so that those guys can really get involved because now without Joe being your consistent shooting threat, you need consistent shooting threats and those guys can do it. You just need ways to get them involved and it's not going to be passing it to them outside the three-point arc and then saying, all right, clear it out like we're playing at the Y. Yeah. You need real offense. Well, with Joe gone, he was really the main screen for him, get him open, catch and shoot off the the pass kind of guy. With him gone, maybe Bell can be that guy that now – is curling off screens or there's plays and actions designed to get him open so he's not just sitting there and waiting for the skip pass or the late shot clock pass or the offensive rebound pass for him to shoot that three or you know early in the shot clock when he launches and then five seconds kind of deal. Maybe he's the guy that they're creating offense around and playing to strengths for. And Benny, too, he really turns it on late. I don't know if he changed his shot completely if it was still a line drive, but he said he was working on that, and Coach Beheim said he was trying to put some more arc on his shot, and he shot the ball really well in the final stretch of the season. You think about Pittsburgh, you think about that Wake Forest game, too. He was canning threes from everywhere, hitting some jumpers. Still want to see him do more off the dribble because I think he has that in his toolbox. He just hasn't really found it yet, so maybe that's what he adds 
this offseason. Uh, both of those guys, yeah, can be explosive on the offensive end. For Bell, I think you need to do more from an X's and O's standpoint to get him open. And for Benny, just tap into his rich uh, skill sets that I think are still undiscovered this offseason. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just maybe it's just a confidence thing for Benny. I think that's the that's the main thing. If you if you get him bolstered, boosted up, and and you know feeling good about himself, it 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 goes a long way. And Jesse Edwards, still waiting on him and the rest of the underclassmen, Taylor, Copeland, and again, Judah. J- Judah, yes, that's that's a, that's a, that's a big one. The NBA draft deadline, I believe, is May 18th. So he has to make a decision by then whether he's going pro or coming back. It doesn't sound like Judah's going, like, it doesn't sound like he's going to the portal. That's, I think, a big, yeah. big, good, big, big plus. He's either going pro or... Or he's coming back to Syracuse. So I think I read somewhere it's like April thirteenth is the deadline for college guys. I thought I, it, I thought it was in May because okay. the NBA draft is in July, if gotcha. I remember correctly. So we'll we'll double check on that, and of course we'll have more coverage of Judah and his draft decision on theorangefizz.com. It's Fizz Five with John Eads and Ian Unsworth. We're switching sports. Heading over to the field where men's and women's lacrosse are well into their seasons, and so we'll start with Gary Gate and crew as our fourth topic. Number four. The Orange play Notre Dame tomorrow. And if you've paid attention to any Orange-Irish matchups over the past few years, you know that the Kavanaugh's are Cuse killers. Pat and Chris, uh, the two of them, brothers, I believe two years apart? Two years apart? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I they've, they've been there forever. Pat, Pat's our age. He's a senior, and then Chris is a sophomore. They have an older brother, Matt, too, played in, like, the early 2010s. Yeah. But Pat Cavanaugh, I think, has three straight, or they have, like, three straight nine-point games, or Pat has two nine-point games himself against well, Syracuse, or something ridiculous. Okay, like I was going to say, because he just had a bad game against Virginia, which we talked about earlier this week on a different platform. But, yeah, no, he's been so good. He's just really tough to cover. And I think some of that's a byproduct of how bad Syracuse's defense has been in the past couple of years. They really haven't shown an ability to shut down any top-tier talent. With that said, though, there's been times this year where they've looked good. You think about the Duke game. Brendan O'Neill had four goals, and he's going to get four goals in every game, but he did that on 13 shots. Andrew McAdory had one goal. He's an All-American attacker. So they've shown the ability to force other players to step up and score the goals, produce the offense to beat Syracuse. But from a holistic standpoint, defense aside, this Syracuse team the past couple of years hasn't shown the ability, especially under Coach Gate, to beat an elite team. They've competed. They took Cornell to overtime last year. They played well against Duke this year. There's other examples in there as well, North Carolina last year. But they haven't gotten over the hump and taken down a top-tier ACC team on a consistent basis. Yeah, they upset Duke last year. That's all fine and dandy. But they haven't really, besides that, had another example of a time where they've won a game they're not supposed to win, in my opinion. And this is SU's last home game tomorrow. So... They're, the, the rest of the schedule is on the road. I think there's they play UNC in, like, only only Maryland. Yeah, it's a neutral site It's, it's a strange I one. I hate the schedule, though. It's, it's a really weird one. Uh, but, yeah, you've got Princeton. You've got UVA. Yep. You've got Duke again. Duke again on the road, yep. and you've got that. Yeah, you've got the UNC game, and I, 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 I don't know. We, we maybe it's for recruiting purposes. I mean, Maryland's a lacrosse hotbed, but still, it's like it all your big games here in April. Not a single one is in the dome, and 
It's not like they're doing renovations or they have to no. play at CBA or anything. I mean, they like. got Monster Jam coming up on April 8th weekend or something like that, but I don't know. I just don't like that. You're literally on the road for the entire month of April after it starts tomorrow, and it's against ranked teams like Princeton and Duke, and you mm-hmm. run up and down the ACC list. And then you're probably not, if you make the NCAA tournament, you're not going to host a game. So this is it for Q's fans tomorrow in terms of watching a home men's lacrosse game for the whole year. I, Crazy. Yeah, I heard Quint Kesnick on uh, ESPN Radio Syracuse. I think he was talking to Brian Higgins. Can't, can't remember, but Quint was saying that if Syracuse had a, a, like, a legit FOGO, no offense to Johnny Rachusa or Jack Fine or any of those guys, but if Syracuse had like a, a good FOGO, like say Jacob Fop is still on the team oh this my year, goodness, who knows? They yeah. could be really, really good. What do you think? Oh, I completely agree. They probably wouldn't lose that game against Maryland early in the year where Rachusa won like seven faceoffs out of like thirty, I think, and Maryland won by three. Ball possession was critical in that game. And the offense, when Syracuse had the ball, they produced well. They scored 12 goals on limited possessions. Um, UNC, they lost, and Rachusa struggled in that game as well. I can't really think of a game this year where the faceoffs weren't a reason why Syracuse lost. Like, there was a game where Syracuse won the faceoff battle and they lost. I can't think of one. I think it was mm-hmm. somewhat close for some reason when Syracuse played Duke, but that's because Jack Fine's gotten more into the mix and Rachus has still been kind of trying to get his feet under him this year. I think Jack Fine's a sleeper. I think he's done very well off the bench, and when Rachus has struggled, he's come in and at least been competitive with these All-American Fogos that Syracuse faces week after week. But yeah, if Jacob Fopp is on this year's team from last year, I really think this team is not 6-4. and four. I think they could be 8-2 and two potentially right now and certainly looking good for the NCAA tournament. I think the thing about Rachusa that I've heard a lot is that he's not necessarily going to win it clean himself and then exit and go start something offensively. No. He'll, he'll keep it in the circle and wait for the... Like, Syracuse's wings are good. They'll, those oh, are they not, have to be. They yeah. have to be good. They're not bad play. Like, those are good players, but it's really tough when you're you're not winning, you're relying on other guys. Mm-hmm. And the other Fogos in the ACC, like Petey LaSalle is going to win it himself, and then he's going to run down there and shoot it. Right. Like, same goes for Naso and Andrew Tyrar of, of UNC. All those dudes are super good at just, you know, they don't need any help. And I think that's the toughest part for Rachusa because, yeah, at the lower level you can do it, but against the top competition, it's tough to rely on other people to do your job. And there's ways to game plan to stop guys like LaSalle and Naso from having runouts off face-offs. You put your wings yeah. back and have them crash I in. I saw them put an extra pull on the, that on works the wings, too. too. They've been trying stuff every year with limited success now and then, but the big issue is ball control. So even if they don't score off the face-off, they win. They have the ball again and a chance to score. And you got an All-American goalie in that Will Mark, and the defense has been solid. Um, I know Landon Clary got injured against Johns Hopkins. I'm not sure if he's returned to the lineup since. I don't think he has. The defense has been good enough. The problem is there's only so much you can do when the other team is getting double the amount of possessions you are on a game-to-game basis. And, you know, I I do think this team has looked a whole lot better from last year. And I think going into next year, if they can answer that face-off question, they could be really good. But in terms of the end of the stretch here, you need Johnny Rachusa just to be good enough, at least compete. And then Jack Fine, if he can win a couple here and there uh, coming off the bench, then this team could be dangerous down the stretch of the season. Mm-hmm. And it stinks that there's no ACC tournament. Yeah. But again, you win one or two more ACC games, that's a good enough resume, especially if you sneak a win over Princeton. 
that's a good yes. enough resume for tournament consideration. Yes, I think they definitely need to win that Princeton game, and they need to somehow squeak out a win against a Duke or a UNC or a UVA or a Notre Dame. Now, some of those are easier than others. I think if you're looking at a game where they could pull an upset, I think the most likely ones would be Duke or UNC because yeah. the Tar Heels won by six, but they shot the ball really well that game, and I think Syracuse learned some lessons defensively in that one as that well. Was the, that was the first ACC yes. game, right? Also yeah. didn't have Brandon Aviles in that game, and mm-hmm. North Carolina really took advantage of that short-stick D-Midi mismatch. And Duke, they lost in overtime. They lost by one goal in that game yeah. and played well. So I think it's certainly possible, but must, must, must beat Princeton on the road and then either Duke or UNC. Yeah, so we'll see how the men's season goes. On the women's side, though, it is smooth sailing for Kayla Trainer and company. That's how we wrap up Fizz 5. Number 5. Orange are number one in the nation. Undefeated. And despite losing two key players to what seem to be season-ending injuries, that is defender Bianca Chevry and draw specialist Kate Mashevsky, no one's missed a beat. It's really impressive. I mean, this happens every year. It's too bad because you just wish there was that one year where the injury subsided and the team just stayed healthy. Although I will say, if you're going to take injuries, I think this year's crop is a little bit easier to work with than last year's was when you yeah. have players like Megan Carney, who's 50%, and Emma Tyrell, who who went down and things of that nature. The list goes on and on. Every star player this team's had, basically, Emma Ward, the whole year, has had an injury at one point or the other. But, no, they've just kept rolling on. They beat Cornell earlier this week. 19-13 was the score. Kind of deceiving, though, because Syracuse really took its foot off the gas in the fourth yeah. quarter and put the backups in and made the score a little more respectable. And Megan Carney didn't even play, and she's Syracuse's top two top three goal scorer offensive weapon this year. So team's really good. They've taken hold of that number one spot, which is so hard to do. Like number two, they've been at year after year since we've been here. But getting to number one is a different challenge, especially when you got a team like UNC in front of you. Um, so I think they got a lot of tough games coming up to close the season. Virginia tomorrow, they're a ranked team who beat Syracuse last year in the yeah, ACC that was tournament. A, that was a massive, so, massive upset at that point yeah. in time. But they've got Rachel Clark, was the ACC Freshman of the Year last year. She's really good. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, this this should be, as weird as it seems, like this should be a revenge game. There should be no problem getting motivated for this one. And I think that is going to help SU a lot going down the stretch. Because last year this team, even though they were top 10 in the country all year, even though, it, it, like, if you just look at the numbers and look at the record, it, it should be a success. But I think last year's team, especially after making the Natty two years ago, feels like they they underperformed and they sold themselves short. Well, and again, they had extenuating circumstances like the injuries. When they played Virginia in the regular season, they won by six goals. They didn't have the same team later in the season due to those injuries. And then the goal goaltending play has been completely different oh, yeah. this year. That was a problem all year last season, and the defense as a whole, really. I think the goalie play had more to do with that than the actual defense did. Um, that's not really a problem this year. Like Game after game, Delaney Schweitzer, who's Syracuse's starting goalie, has just shown out and been phenomenal. She's had double-digit saves in pretty much every game this year. And that's the level of play you need to win a national championship. And they've got Virginia, they've got Clemson, who's a new team in women's lacrosse, but really good. 
this year for some reason. Yeah, Clemson just um, they got a bunch of transfers yes, in there. It's like Miami basketball, but mm-hmm. on the women's side here for lacrosse. Then they close the season with UNC and BC. Now BC is not as good as they have been because Charlotte North is now in the broadcast booth and not on the field. Yeah. But that's where you're really gonna prove that you deserve that number one ranking because you didn't beat North Carolina to get the ranking. You got it by default because Northwestern beat North Carolina. So you need to prove yourself as the top team. But Going into the end stretch here, I think this team is in very good position. Losing your starting draw control specialist, the Mashevsky, is a massive loss, but they've had Olivia Adamson take her spot and do at least a decent job there. And then again, the defensive play has been much better. So I think this team is in good position to end the season 4-0. and They just can't get complacent. They've had some easy games in the past couple of weeks against some teams that aren't going to challenge you. They're getting right back into the heat of ACC play here against some really good teams. They need to just continue to compete hard and be hungry to win that national championship because it was so close a couple years ago. So many of those players still on the team this year, and they should be hungry for it. And even though you don't have Mashevsky, they beat Duke who has the best draw control mm-hmm. specialist in the country in Maddie Jenner, who's 6'3". But they they beat Duke, handled them. I mean, what was I think the final score was 16-8 or 16-10. It wasn't particularly yeah. close. Yeah. So then they, pu- they pulled away in the second half. It wasn't much of a game. So if you can overcome that hurdle against that level of player, I think the Orange are, are going to be fine. And you hit on the goalie play too. That's a massive change that makes makes a world of difference because I think – in that Virginia game in the ACC tournament, I'm pretty sure whoever started, maybe it was Kimber Hauer, but yeah. I don't think the goalies had like a save until the fourth quarter. Or I some, believe it. Yeah. Some stat like that. And it just it just shows because this team is keeping it together and you get the ball to Megan Tyrell and, and good things happen. You keep the ball to net, you get more chances for Megan Tyrell. Correct. Simple equation. And I think one last thing I'd say is that the free position defense has been very good this year. You think about watching games last year. We watched the BC game when they played in Chestnut Hill, and it just they seemed gave like up every ton. time they got a free position opportunity, they scored. And for those who don't know what a free position opportunity is, it's like basically a one-on-o with the goalie from eight yards out, but the defense has an opportunity to kind of get in your way and stop you because there's eight yards between where you start, uh, or eight meters, I don't know how many yards that is, and where the goal is. Um, and last year, the goalie play just wasn't at the level needed to stop those free position opportunities. This year, it's been a lot better. Delaney Schweitzer, for whatever reason, is super good at stopping the straight-on opportunities, the chances they have where they just shoot the ball right away on the free position, and when they crash into the goal. So I think that's been the biggest difference between last year and this year, and that's the reason why I think Syracuse has what it needs to win the whole thing this season. The Orange are riding high, undefeated, and the best start in program history. Kayla Trainer's done a heck of a job in, what, year and a half mm-hmm. leading this squad. That's going to wrap things up on Fizz 5. For John Eads, I'm Ian Unsworth. Make sure to check out all our stuff at OrangeFizz on Twitter and theorangefizz.com. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, go on. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.